Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, really great to see you all. So, as you can hopefully see, certainly see on that side, not so well on that side, that we are continuing our look through the book of Galatians. And this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Galatians 3, verses 10 to 14. And apologies for the uh, slightly strange text. I thought I got rid of all of that. Uh, The rest of the PowerPoint has got rid of the strange text, but that actually says Christ cursed that we might be blessed. So, for those of you who have been around for uh, any length of time, you'll you'll realize that we have been working our way very slowly through the book of Galatians, which is a a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church uh, in Galatians. And uh, the reason we've been working through it slowly is because we think there's so much good stuff in it. Um, It's been important to spend time really digging into it and uh, understanding what Paul was saying. But I just wanted to uh, start with a quick recap. So Paul, as I've said, was an apostle. So he went out uh, from Jerusalem and he spread the gospel in the early years of the, the church, not long after Christ had been crucified, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And so he'd gone out to uh, basically what was called the Gentile world, so the non-Jew world, uh, and he was sharing the gospel with, uh, well, what he would have termed the pagans, those who worshipped other gods. And uh, he'd been extremely successful. He'd seen many, many churches established, uh, people coming to faith in Jesus, And uh, one of these places was uh, in Galatia, and he'd established a a church there, which uh, it would appear had started very well. Uh, It was going on in the the things of God, the gifts of the Spirit. And then uh, folk from Jerusalem had gone to that church, and they they were called Judaizers, and what they basically believed that the, the new teaching, the new gospel the truth about Christ wasn't enough and that they were adding back in the rules and regulations from the Old Testament that the Jewish people had been been, uh, living in. And so the church in Galatia and many other churches as well were being uh, not only disrupted but uh, in, in in a sense being destroyed for this false teaching. And so Paul, in this uh, letter to the Galatians, is addressing these issues, uh, this false teaching, and reminding the Galatians that actually what he had taught them, that Christ alone was enough. Was, that was it. None of the, nothing else to be added in. And so this book of Galatians is, is basically explaining that, giving his arguments and... Uh, trying to remind the Galatians of the truth and what they had experienced. So, <clears throat> so th- this chapter itself, chapter 3, we've been, uh, it's, Paul has been discussing the whole thing of faith in Jesus is the only way of salvation as opposed to works uh, so gaining a acceptance by God through 
or actions and doing good things. And uh, basically, that's what this chapter is about. And uh, both Nathan and Andrew have been have discussed through some of that. And as we come through to the next verses, Paul actually starts to use Old Testament scripture to back up his arguments. So you'll see as we go through in a little while, there are a, quite a number of passages of scripture from the Old Testament that Paul uses to justify why his, uh, his, his arguments are correct. But before we do that... <coughs> Many of you will have noticed uh, that Nathan especially seems to be very good at going backwards um, in Scripture instead of going forwards. And and Andrew seemed to take that to a a new height last week when he went all the way back to Genesis 11. Now, personally, I I think this is a bit petty, and I don't think we should be doing that. All right, uh, next slide, please. Okay, so for those of you possibly listening, I've just put up Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And, and actually, I'm, I'm really, I, I, I thought of this as a bit of a joke to start with. But actually, as I read it through, I felt the Holy Spirit just saying to me, I needed to speak a little bit out of this. because. So I'm going to read it, which is Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I, and I really felt challenged over our view of God. Because I, I feel that we tend to have quite a small view of God that, uh, you know, that, or maybe not as a pet God, but actually that we've lost the enormity of who he is. And uh, so I, I've just got a few, uh, well, uh, facts about space, really. This is creation facts, if you like, just to, uh, I, this might help those a bit more with a scientific mind than others, but I think, I hope that out of this, people get a a bit more of the enormity of who God is. So I've got a number of facts about uh, the stars in space. So here we go. The observable universe contains over 100 billion galaxies, which puts the total stars in the observable universe at somewhere between 10 to the power of 22 and 10 to the power of 24. That's, That's just a big number, okay? Um, uh, what I'm trying to get from this is that God created all of this, okay? So to put that in perspective, people at the University of Hawaii spent an unreasonably amount of time calculating an estimate for the number of grains of sand on every beach in the world, and that came in at 7.5 times 10 to the 18, which means that for every grain of sand on every beach on earth, there are 10,000 stars in the universe. Yeah, big numbers, okay? That, that's just huge. When you're in a rural area at night, you know, so across the country there are these like dark sky places. I know there's one down in, in Exmoor, and you get away from the street lights and everything, and uh, maybe the moon isn't up. Um, and you can see... You know, a whole sky full of stars. In those optimal circumstances, you're looking at around 2,500 stars at most. That's about one one hundred millionth 
of the total stars in just our galaxy. Again, phenomenal. We're just... So most stars are sitting there with no one around for huge distances in any direction. And our sun is no exception. The closest star to us, called Proxima Centauri, apparently, is 4.24 light years away, or 70,000 years away in our fastest spacecraft. So if the sun were a four-centimeter diameter ping-pong ball in Portsmouth, the closest star is another ping-pong ball over 700 miles away in John O'Groats. One final bit, just the largest stars, you might think our sun is big. Well, the largest stars are called red hypergiants. One absurdly large one is called, I don't know why it's called this, but V.Y. Canis Majorius. If you stacked 1,420 of our suns on top of each other, you'd have the diameter of V.Y. Canis Majorius. Or to bring it back to the ping-pong ball-sized sun, that would make this red giant the height of a 16-storey building. It would take an aeroplane about 1,100 years to fly around it. And if V.Y. Canis Majoris were in the centre of our universe, i.e. where the sun is, it would swallow up everything out to the orbit of Saturn. Okay, I've got a little bit more, but actually, I think I've made my point that these numbers are just huge. We can't really get our heads around them at all. And the Bible tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke them into existence. And, and to me, that means that my God is, is phenomenally big. It's, I mean, it's just incredible. And I think if we can take away something particular from this, this morning is that we need to have a bigger picture of who God is. Because what Paul was addressing was the, the, the argument of, is God able to do it on his own or does he need our help? Yeah, I, I think it's as simple as that. And our God is so great. So imaginably great that when he says, I'm going to do it, when he says it's through faith in me alone, he actually means it. Okay, I just want to pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the fact that we can even know you. Just those few facts remind us of how enormously great and beyond our comprehension you are. And yet, the Bible tells us that you desired a relationship with us. That actually you desired it so much that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, to pay the penalty for our sin, that that relationship with you could be restored. And Lord, I just pray that that awe, that wonder, that the incredibleness of that would come upon us even now. And we'd be caught up in you. Yeah, praise you and thank you for you are <laughs> so, so worthy. Amen.
Okay, so we're going to read our passage of Scripture, which is, uh, as I say, Galatians 3, and it has come up on the screen. So, so Paul speaking to the Galatians, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So, at first glance then, this passage of Scripture is, can seem a little bit complicated. It can be, it could arguably be said it was back to front and upside down, and Paul seems to have got his arguments in the wrong order, and uh, we could obviously twist it around, but actually it wouldn't change what's in there. It's, it's actually a number of specific statements which we're going to look at, which uh, help us to understand the truth about faith and the lie about the law and good works, if you like. So, firstly though, I just wanted to start by looking at a few words that are in there, because it talks about blessings and it talks about curses and it talks about the law, and it talks about faith. So let's start off, really, by addressing those words. Uh, what do they mean? So in, I, I feel that in this context, talking about blessings, we are talking about to be in relationship with or accepted by God. So to be spiritually li- alive. This is the blessing that Paul is talking about here. Conversely, when Paul is talking about a curse, he's talking about the opposite. So, to be rejected by or out of relationship with God. So, that's the curse. Out of relationship with God. Or, to put it another way, spiritually dead. Okay. So, then what do we mean by the law? Well, actually, Paul's not just pertaining here to the Old Testament. He's not just talking about uh, the rules and regulations that are written in the early part of the Old Testament, but actually he's talking about good works, doing things that appear right before God um, to gain uh, right standing before God. So it's not just about uh, Levitical laws, but actually it's about doing stuff. And Actually, it's not a a negative thing, and we can sum it up just looking at a a passage in Matthew, and sorry, it's not on the uh, screen, I realized after doing all these PowerPoint uh, (laughs) slides, I'd missed one out, but I'm going to read it. So this is uh, Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40, actually 34, verse 34 to 40. So, 
Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, in essence, Jesus is saying all of that stuff in the Old Testament can be summed up in these two laws. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And so, in a sense, Paul could be even referring to these two things as well as law. Okay, and then finally, faith, which is to believe in God, trusting in his way, to be accepting Jesus' salvation, and to receive God's free gift of grace. So, four words that we've read through in that passage, uh, I just wanted to bring a little bit of explanation to. So, in a moment, we'll return to our passage, and we're going to look through it very quickly, verse by verse. But actually, what we're seeing here is Paul is referring to two roots to relationship with God. One is the one he taught. It's faith in Jesus. It's receiving God's grace, the salvation of Jesus' death on the cross. And the second is through good works, through obeying, if you like, even just those two commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. So Paul is, in a sense, suggesting there are two roots here. And I would say that our lives here on earth are not about gaining wealth, house, family, friends. Actually, we're here on earth because we're of establishing or connecting with or becoming or coming into relationship with God. That's so our lives are about that, coming into relationship with God. And theoretically, there are two roots. Okay, so verse uh, 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And Paul here is referring back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy. Uh, Could we have that one up? 27 verse 26. Cursed is anyone who does not hold the words of this law by carrying them out. So this was a a declaration in Deuteronomy uh, to the Jewish people. They'd been given all these rules and regulations, and they'd been told that If you don't keep them, you'll be cursed. What does our word curse mean? It means out of relationship with God. So the Jewish people, they could stick to the law. They would be in relationship with God. If they failed, then they would be out of relationship with God. It was simple as that. And Paul takes that and then brings it to something so much greater about uh, spiritual life or spiritual death. So being in spiritual relationship with God or (laughs) spiritual death or rejected by God. Can I go back to verse 10? So, 
actually here Paul is saying that if you are seeking to rely on the law, so this is what the Galatians were being taught, that they were being taught by the Judaizers, that you actually need to do these good works. You need to do these things of the law, otherwise you will not be able to be in right relationship with God. Paul is actually saying, well, as soon as you go down that route, you put yourself, in effect, under a curse. You're disregarding the faith thing and going for the works. You can't do both. And, I mean, it's difficult. What, what is he m- meaning here by under the law, uh, cur- under a curse, sorry, is to mean that if you attempt to do things by works, then the curse or the rejection or the loss of relationship with God is hanging over you. It's not that it's fallen upon you. It only falls upon you, as it were, when you fail. And, I mean, this is a bit of a poor example, but actually I I thought it might highlight it a bit. Think of a small child and uh, a thin, icy wall. And, you know, kids, they love to walk along walls, don't they? For some reason, we've all done it. There's a wall, we want to walk along it. Small child, icy wall. And as they attempt to walk along it, as it were, they are under the curse of falling off and hurting themselves. If they hadn't got up onto the wall, there would be no, they wouldn't be under that curse, as it were. So they are under the curse, and then when they fall off, they receive the curse, which could be <laughs> broken limbs or, or whatever. So Paul is saying here that actually there's nothing wrong with the law, but if you attempt to live by it, you are heading for a fall, heading to fall off the wall, heading to fall out of relationship with God, as it were. Okay, so moving on to verse 11 then. So, right, so this is why it just seems to go back and forth a bit, this, this passage. So we've talked about the law, now we're going on to faith, and then we'll go back again to the law, but... Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And here again, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. And actually, we're going to a very small book uh, near the end of the Old Testament, which is Habakkuk. Can I have that one? Thank you. Habakkuk 2 and... Verse 4b, which means the second half of it, but the righteous person will live by faith. And this is a a declaration by God. This is talking about uh, physical life as opposed to spiritual life. But God is saying, if you believe and trust in me, you will live. If If you don't, if you try and do things in your own strength, you will physically die. And Paul has now taken that. And he not only takes it here in Galatians, he actually uh, quotes it in Romans 1 verse 17, and the writer of the Hebrews quotes it also in Hebrews 10, 38. That uh, actually the righteous will live by faith. And this is taken as a spiritual thing. That through faith alone you will live. Or an alternative translation, which may make it clearer. uh, He who through faith... um, in brackets, is righteous, shall live. So through faith, Paul is saying, you will live. And he's backing it up with Scripture. And you may recall that that is exactly what Jesus did when he was in the desert and he 
the devil came and tempted him, Jesus used Scripture to counteract, to, to argue, if you like, his point. And Paul is using Scripture here to argue his point, that we live by faith. Okay, so we're going to move on to verse 12. And for me, it, it feels that they, we, things take a twist here. Paul's going back to talking about the law. So the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Again, quoting scripture. And this is from Leviticus 18 verse 5. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So a statement by God that if you obeyed the laws, so we've, we've had the curse, now it's the blessing, if you like, that if you keep my laws, you will live. That was physically, again, Paul is referring spiritually here. If you, if you keep my laws, if you stick to the laws, you will live. Okay, so, actually, one person did. One person kept, if you like, the law. Let's just contain it to those two that Jesus spoke about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who was it? It was Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't need to be saved because he came and led a perfect life. He lived those two laws and all other things encompassed within those perfectly. Perfect life, lived in perfect relationship with God. But the problem is, so in a sense, Paul is saying, if you could do it, as Jesus did, then you could go that route. But you can't. That's clearly, we are unable to live perfect lives. It's in our nature to sin. And therefore, to fall under the curse. So, it's really what this, the, the verse we've read, uh, verse 12, was saying. That actually, the law can lead to life, spiritual life. But you won't make it. You can't make it. It's impossible. We are all cursed under the law. We are all, because of our sin, spiritually dead and out of relationship with God. Okay, so moving on then to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Again, you've guessed it, Paul is quoting another Old Testament passage of Scripture, which is Deuteronomy so uh, 21 to 23, but I've, I've actually included in 22 as well. If someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Next, next one, please. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And you must not desecrate the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So... Basically, when uh, in 
The Old Testament, so this is under the law, if someone had committed a, a crime or a, a sin that was worthy of death, they would be stoned. They wouldn't be hung on a cross, they would be stoned, but then they'd be hung up on a tree or a pole as a display to everyone else to show uh, God's rejection of them to demonstrate the penalty for, uh, you know, for what they'd done. And basically, they were cursed. They were, what was it, rejected by God. So they were cursed, they were hung on a tree, rejected by God. And so the Jewish uh, people saw crucifixion, which is hung on a cross, as the same thing. They saw it as a tree. So anyone who died on a cross, the Jewish people looked upon as being cursed, that is, rejected by God. So when Jesus hung on a tree, he was rejected by God, was he? Yes, he was. How do we know that? Well, I just want, there's, so this bit, I'm just pausing trying to get my thoughts properly, because this is so vitally important for us to get. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all sin, all sin, which resulted in God the Father's rejection, the curse. Can I back that up? Yes, I can. Matthew, go to the next one, please. Matthew 27, 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you rejected me? I mean, th this place on the cross, th it's just, if we thought the facts about space were incredible, this is more so. The, the father turned his back on the son. Just as the temple curtain was torn in two, so the Godhead was torn asunder as the father turned his back on the son. I, we, we can't comprehend it. We don't understand it. But Christ took our sin. He became sin for us. And so the father turned his face away. And, and you can't, I can't imagine, I mean, we can't possibly imagine this eternal Godhead suddenly torn apart. That the God the Father or, or God in the Trinity loved us so much that they would go through this. It's incredible. Quite incredible. And yet, if we think back to who this God is, this uncomprehendable God. We realize that the gulf between us and him is so great that to restore the relationship requires divine intervention, not human endeavor. We couldn't 
possibly do anything to restore that relationship. Only God could. And he took that route to do it. If the God who created the universe deemed that necessary to save us, who are we to add anything to it? So we move on to our final verse then, verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Faith in Christ and Christ alone is the only way to be restored to God. Nothing added, nothing take away, taken away. And in that, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, one final scripture passage, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. When you believed, that might be B actually, it should be. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When we receive through faith salvation in Christ Jesus, when we accept that we are sinners, but we are then saved by grace, we become saints, a new creation, God himself comes into our lives to help us, equip us. But that is all by faith. It's all God's grace for us. We can add nothing to it. We can take nothing away from it. He did it all for us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. And I'm... I'm just, I am gobsmacked. I'm in awe of what you've done, pretty much lost for words, that you who created the things that I can't even begin to imagine would value a relationship with me so greatly that you would die in such a horrific way that I might, be, might live and come into relationship with you. And Lord, I just thank you that it's so simple that we accept and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior in our lives, turning our back on the past, becoming new creations, and receiving your Spirit within us. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Your grace sufficient for us. Amen. Thank you, Sean.